theme of this passage is that um, arrogance is being addressed. Now, now what are the what are the consequences? What are the dangers that come up when we pursue arrogance? What are the difficulties that arise when we choose to pursue arrogance? When we choose not to listen to instructions? I don't think anybody was trying to be wrong. I know I wasn't trying to be wrong. But at camp this week, we had a big water game. At the end of the water game, they wanted everybody to get onto the tarps. And then they're going to have a drone take a picture of the whole campground. But they didn't give like all the instructions before they had 500 kids plus 100 counselors get onto the tarps. And so you can imagine what happens when there's a bunch of fire hoses spraying water on everybody who are on slip and slide tarps in the middle of a field. And they're trying to get organized and take a picture of 600 people. And you have all the drama of camp. Well, what happens? It's like craziness, right? There's no, there's no order. And so like, eventually the place calmed down. Half the people got off the tarp because they couldn't hear over the speakers and the sound of cheering. But they're supposed to be you know, doing something specific for the photo, not just being on the tarps. And then they got back on. You see, instructions are important. And when we choose in our own lives to listen to instructions and willfully say, my way is better than God's way, it results in catastrophes that are far worse, far more damaging to what happened at camp. What happened at camp was quickly rectified in the course of about three minutes, right? It's a little bit of chaos. People were on the tarps a little longer. Cleanup took an extra three minutes. But in the grand scheme of life, it had no significant impact on what happened. And yet, in real life, when we look at God's commands and we choose to build ourselves up in pride and arrogance and say, yes, I see and I understand who God is, and yet I'm going to choose to go my own way, the results can truly be catastrophic. And so as we look through Daniel chapter 5, I believe that you're going to see that this is the theme of the passage. My arrogance hinders God's good work in my life. My arrogance. You see, God has a desire to be made known and to be known in the world. He has a desire to see your life and to see my life being transformed into his image. To make him known among the world. To make his glory seen among the world. And when we choose to allow our arrogance to get in the way of that, it hinders God's good work. And that's exactly what you see in Daniel if you would take your copy of God's word and let's read together Daniel chapter 5. Verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of a thousand. While he tasted the wine, 
Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand and wrote that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this message and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lord, his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom. <clears throat> in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And he, and in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, and as much as an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas that were found in this man, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and astrologers have been brought in before me, and that, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give the interpretation. I have heard of you, that you can give interpretation and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writings and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. <coughs> Yet, I will read the writing and make known to him the interpretation of things. The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom, and majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed in his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men, his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was 
with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself. Although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, they have brought the vessel of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drank wine from him, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which you do not see or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the finger of the hand, and then the fingers of the hands, hand what? Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and his writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Etarsin. This is the interpretation of each word, Mene. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple put a chain of gold around his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the country. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it's true. We thank you for the fact that it reveals in our own hearts and our own lives areas where we are in need of growth and maturity where we have become prideful and have become arrogant and fail to respond to your truth as we should. We pray that you would use your word today to show us where we have fallen away from you. We pray that as we see your love and your care in this passage, but as we see also the fact that you are a God who does not take sin lightly, that it would be used in our hearts to transform us, to make us more like you. And that as we do so, that we would be able to be people who not only proclaim by partaking of the Lord's Supper that we believe who you are and that we're going to live it out, but that we would actually see that followed through in our day-to-day -day lives. That we would live lives that are radically transformed, not by our own efforts, but rather through your spirit and through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Belshazzar blasphemes the Lord. This is really how the text begins in verses 1 through um, 5. We see this idea developing. And as it develops, as the rulers of the empire, Belshazzar profanes the Lord. You'll notice he starts off this whole segment, and it, there's a number of years that have been skipped, right? The last king we read about was King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar has had numerous times in his life where he has been confronted by the one true God and told that he has a wrong view of God and that he needs to repent and to change his ways. And numerous times throughout the first four chapters, as Nebuchadnezzar is confronted with the truth of who God is, you see him take steps of acknowledging and changing how he's functioning. I do not believe that Nebuchadnezzar truly repents and comes to saving faith in the God of Israel. 
Rather, you do see him responding to some degree to the truth that he's revealed. And Belshazzar should have seen and heard of some of these stories. And yet, as he becomes king, he is unwilling to live in light of the truth that he should have learned from even the previous king's seven years out of the throne because of his own pride and his own arrogance. And as he comes, he, he drinks wine, and as he gets drunk, he begins to have ideas about how he's going to show and demonstrate his own greatness and splendor and majesty in his kingdom. And so the decision is made that the way we're going to portray my greatness is I'm going to profane who God is. And he says specifically he does this by bringing in the vessels that were used in the temple of the one true God. He brings those into his, his orgy of debauchery, and as he brings those into his place, what does he do? He profanes them. He profanes them. They drank wine. And as they drink wine, what do they do? They praise the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. There's a complete rejection of who God is. And so the people all participate in profaning the Lord, but they also worship false gods. And the responsibility of all this lays on the king. He is the leader of the realm. He is the one who should be leading the people in righteousness. And instead, what is he doing? His pride is leading him to do things that he should not have done. And Daniel is going to make it very clear that the specific thing that he did that was the, the monumental demonstration of his pride and arrogance was the fact that he brought in the vessels from the Lord's temple into this place and used them in worshiping these items that are creation items not creator items. And so the people participate in blaspheming the Lord. The king and his leaders' arrogance is evident in their worship. I think that's the primary thing, and you'll see this very clearly. I believe it is in verse 23, where Daniel comes in, and he's going to rebuke the king for his arrogance. He's going to point to him and say, your arrogance is your downfall. Your arrogance prevents God's work from taking place. And ultimately, his arrogance is going to result in his own separation eternally from the presence of God. You see, arrogance is not something that God takes lightly. Arrogance is something that hampers our relationship with God, that hinders God's work in our lives. And arrogance is something that can actually lead to our eternal destruction and separation from God. And so he's calling upon those who hear. He's calling upon the Jews who would read. But he's calling upon you and I also to examine our own lives and to say, where am I in this story? Is my life characterized by some sort of arrogance that is allowing me to pursue some sin? Is my arrogance allowing me or maintaining my position where I fail to humble myself and receive the free gift of Jesus Christ. Arrogance is a serious, serious sin. The text goes on, and God's anger is immediately apparent in his speedy response. Some translations say, that very moment, 
translation that we're currently using says, in the same hour. The idea is like immediately. Like they bring these vessels in from God's holy temple and they begin to use them in a profane manner and they begin to worship these false gods and immediately God acts. God comes and he responds to what's going on and he responds by sending a hand to write a message on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king sees the message. Our arrogance then will result in rejection of God's authority and his purpose in our lives. Arrogance is you and I standing up and saying that I am somehow better than God. That I am somehow in a position of authority over God. And God does not take that lightly. God has a desire for you and I to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to when we do that, we alienate ourselves from God, we hinder his work, and we risk bringing God's judgment. The text goes on, though, and as the text continues, Belshazzar's fear grows. In verse 6, you see this fear beginning, and as the text continues to work its way to its culmination, you see that his fear continues to grow. Verse 6, then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. Fear seizes control of the arrogant king. He is unable to stand as a result of his immediate understanding that there is a connection between my actions and this current message that has come. And yet he doesn't know how to read the message and he doesn't know what the message His physical trials are not solved as they stem from a spiritual problem. You'll notice that what does he do? He has an immediate trial. And this, this trial brings about physical responses. Physical responses that most kings would not dare be caught found with, right? Imagine having a king who's unable to stand because of his fear. Imagine having a king who's unable to control his bowel movements because of his fear. Is this the kind of king that you want to serve? No. And so he's beginning to realize that we have a serious problem going on here. So what does he do? He calls in all these people who serve him, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the wise men. And he promises them that if they're able to solve this physical trial that he's going through, that he will promote them to the third ruler in the land. The commentaries pretty much have a consensus that probably the there was two kings. Belshazzar was probably a secondary king, serving as a co-regent, or as somebody who's kind of under the primary king. And so Belshazzar is saying, I'm going to make you the third person. I can't give you second because I'm second, but I'll give you third place. In a monarchy, that means he's completely changing the whole system of government that exists. This is how desperate this man is for answers. That he's willing to completely uproot and change the whole way that his kingdom operates in order to have physical relief from his trials. And yet, it's unable to be solved. Why? 
because he's not primarily dealing with a physical situation. He's dealing with a spiritual situation. Arrogance is not something that's physical. It's something that is spiritual. It is you setting yourself up on a pedestal, saying that you are somehow better or superior to the one true God. And that problem is not solved by having wise men or people who understand astrology coming in and giving you any kind of wisdom. It really points us to the necessity for you and I and, and for Belshazzar, though he fails to do it, to address our arrogance, to address our pride, to address our lack of humility and our sense of importance in a biblical way by looking to the word of God and saying, what does God teach about who I am? What does God teach about how I'm supposed to respond to this situation or that situation? And he fails to do that. And as a result, his inability to solve the problem deepens the king's anxiety. Notice how he concludes verse 9. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. Notice his, his anxiety is greater. And not only that, but the rulers of the land who rule alongside him are like, uh-oh. Look at our king. Isn't this marvelous? Like, in a good way, but like kind of really terrifying. If this is the condition of our king right now, we're in a bad spot. Because the king shouldn't act like this. It is arrogance. His sinful pride has brought him to this point. Where he was unable to solve the problem in any physical means. And so hope is offered to him. Hope is offered to him by the queen. The queen mother hears but there is a problem in Belshazzar's life. We get the impression that she's not in this party. But the commotion of the palace quickly spreads to the hearing of the queen. And when she hears about this, what does she do? She's like, I have hope. I have answers that are available to you, Daniel. And so she runs into the banquet hall and she says, O oh, king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you. Why? Notice what she points to. She doesn't point to physical solutions that can be changed or physical people, but she says, look, there's somebody who has access to God, who knows who God is and can reveal to you who God is and what God's plan is. And this will provide you with hope. This will provide you with peace, O king. There is a man in your kingdom who is the spirit of the holy God. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, and as much as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas, were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give an interpretation. Belshazzar's deep anxiety demands a visit from the queen. She hears about the commotion, she comes running. God has a plan for his domain and has chosen to reveal it. God knows what he's doing. He has revealed his plan. And he's revealed his plan to even people who are arrogant. And the queen is challenging and encouraging the king, saying, hey, there are answers to your questions. It's going to require that you change who you are and how you respond to this whole life. But there's answers. And arrogance is not the path forward. God provides answers through his servant, 
Daniel. And so she, she points to Daniel, and Belshazzar then receives divine judgment. Why? Because his arrogance goes so far and so deeply rooted in his life that he's unwilling to repent of his arrogance. And so verse 13, then Daniel was brought in. And as he's brought in, God answered. God's answers do not always come in the same form. If you look at you know, earlier, chapters 1 through 4, there's a number of times where the answers come from God and they come in the form of God's mercy and grace. Abundant. Time and time again, Nebuchadnezzar raises himself up in pride and arrogance. And what does God do? God shows him And really, Belshazzar is a recipient of that as well, right? He's able to see that. The queen mother comes in and says, you yourself have seen this. You know about this, King Belshazzar. But you've chosen to reject me. And this time, the form of the answer comes differently. God's demonstrated his mercy. He's demonstrated his grace. And now he's no longer going to show it in the same way. He's going to point back and say, I've revealed who I am to you. And your prideful, arrogant heart has chosen time and time again to reject the truth of who I am. And as a result, your time for judgment has come. Belshazzar establishes that Daniel is unique in his qualifications. He goes and he asks him about the question, I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. And then he asks them, is this really who you are? And he says he is. And then he makes a promise to him. He makes a promise that if he's able to interpret the matter, he'll be given a purple robe. And that he'll have a chain of gold put around his neck. And that he'll be promoted to the third ruler in the kingdom. And Daniel responds, and his response is, um, his response is pretty much that he is um, an arrogant king, and that he can his gifts, and that God is judging him for his arrogance. Notice with me his response. Daniel answers, let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor, and because of the majesty he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he was hardened. He he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, and appoints over it whomever he wishes. Notice how he highlights the mercy of God, and he says, Belshazzar, you have seen the mercy of God. These truths have been taught to you time and time again. You should know the God is a God who has dominion over the whole world. And that he does not take pride and arrogance lightly. 
look at what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he chose to walk down that same path. Look how God dealt with him so sternly. And you should have seen that message, and you should have chosen instead of living yourself in that same path of arrogance and pride, you should have chosen to reject that and seek to serve and live for the honor of the one true God, but you failed to do that. You can almost see the, the culmination. You know, He ends up by talking about how God has demonstrated so much grace and mercy time and time again to Nebuchadnezzar and his sin, and he says in verse 22, but you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. See, God holds us accountable for what we know. And Belshazzar has experienced and seen time and time again the mercy of God and the danger of pride and the fact that God is the one who's in control of everything and that God has a desire to rule the nations as he chooses and that men who choose to reject his authority are hindering God's work and God will ultimately accomplish his purposes. And if they choose to reject and live in pride, that God will ultimately accomplish his purposes. Maybe by looking around them, maybe by removing them. But God's purposes will be accomplished. And he says, you've rejected God's purposes. You've rejected You've chosen instead to live in arrogance and pride. And so he goes on and he tells him that he's judged Belshazzar for an arrogant defiance of the Lord. Look at verse 23. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And have, you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. The God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not looked. See how he culminates all this? He says, You've experienced God's mercy. These messages of who God is and how he works are things that you've been taught for a long time. And you've rejected it. And your time now mercy and grace of God is over. And God is going to judge. And then he moves into the next point. It's impressive the amount of time that he spends actually interpreting for Belshazzar what's actually taking place here and the amount of time that he spends telling him about his heart and the reason for the interpretation are like way off kilter. Why? Because the primary goal of the passage isn't that you and I walk away going, Wade, Wade, um, found lacking, and they're divided. That's not the purpose. That's true. God's weighed them. He's found them lacking, and he's going to divide them. The point of the passage, though, is that you and I would examine our own hearts and say, where is my heart demonstrating pride? Where have I lifted myself up against the Lord of Heaven in arrogance and pride and chosen to live in rejection of his kingdom. And so God judges him and then God does not tolerate arrogance forever. Notice the interpretation as he's 
skip down to verse 26. This is the interpretation of each word. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You have been taken, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Again, then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. Well, what does all this mean? Daniel is promoted. But the promotion is short-lived. Why? Because God judges Belshazzar. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom in about 63. See, God takes arrogance, God takes pride seriously. God has a desire that you and I would humble ourselves and we would be willing to follow him, seeking to magnify and portray his honor and his glory in every act of our life. And God will stop at nothing to see that his honor and his glory are what is primarily seen. And so if in some way your life is hindering God's ultimate purpose of being made known to the nations. My friend, seek to right your relationship with God before it is too late as it is for Belshazzar. God is great. And he's greatly to be praised. And if your life is somehow hindering God's good work in your life, know that he will stop at nothing to see that his eternal purposes are accomplished in your very life. God takes arrogance and pride seriously. And so as we think about application and what do we do as a result, arrogance leads to rejecting Jesus Christ. Why would somebody reject the free gift, the free mercy and grace that is offered in the person and work of Jesus Christ? He came to the world because of your sin, because of my sin. He went to the cross to pay for your sin and for my sin. He rose victoriously from the grave to show that he's conquered sin and death for you and for me, that there is hope of eternal life with him. And yet in our arrogance, we can choose to look at the gift of Christ that's being offered to us and say, I reject the message of Jesus Christ. I'm going to live life on my own terms. And friends, the message of Daniel chapter 5 is that there is a time limit to how long we can live in arrogance before God. I think that's how the application goes for unbelievers. The application is receive the free gift of Christ while it may be found. But for believers, I believe there's application for us as well. I think we need to start by examining our speech for evidence of arrogance and pride in our own lives. You notice that's how it starts in, and it's most evident in Belshazzar, is the things that he says. What does he do? As you and I see evidence in our own lives of arrogance and pride in what we say and what we do, that should be a big massive warning red flag that goes off and tells us get right with God. Your life is not in alignment with God's perfect design for your life. Your life is not portraying the greatness and the glory of God as it should. Stop. Turn around before it's too late. God will be glorified whether through you or by going around you. 
God is cautioning us about the danger of arrogance. Arrogance will open the gates to all kinds of sin in the believer's life. It doesn't just start with what we say, but it's going to be then something that leads to every area of life. When I raise myself up and I say that I am greater than God in some way, it's just a matter of time before I say that I'm better than God in another way. And then that domino effect begins to kick in. And then in a very short period of time, I'm able to convince almost any kind of sin. Why? Because I've lifted myself up over and against the Lord of God. And so be cautioned, be warned, that the, the little evidence of pride that you see in your life can grow and as it grows, it will lead to more and more sin. And the consequences of those sin can very easily be more and more devastating. More and more devastating for your own life, for your family's life, for the church's life, for the name of Jesus Christ that is to be honored and revered in our community. God does not take arrogance and pride lightly. And then finally, you and I must pursue humility and love. How? submission. The exact thing that's completely opposite of pride is submission. Being willing to submit ourselves to what? The word of God as the spirit of God uses it in our life. Let me encourage you that as you meditate on Daniel chapter 5 and you think through how is God demonstrating or showing me areas in my life where there is pride and arrogance, let me encourage you to get right with if you've never received this free gift of salvation, please talk with somebody about that before it's too late. If there's evidence of pride or arrogance in your life, a haughtiness that should not be there, that you would seek to live in submission and obedience to God's word and not allow that to continue to fester and grow and lead to you being a hindrance to God's good work in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of our church, and in the world around us. I think each of us have things that we need to plan to do in response to the message of Daniel chapter 5. God takes arrogance and pride very seriously. Let me encourage you to take time today examining your life and then responding according to his word. By submitting yourself to the Word of God through the Spirit of God. Father, we do thank you for your Word. We thank you for the cautions and the reminders that you would give us about the dangers of arrogance. We pray that you would help us to pursue submission and obedience to you. That as we do so, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, that your, your name would be made known. And that many people would would be reminded of and come to know about your goodness through our own lives. And the fact that we choose to reject arrogance and pride and choose to humble ourselves and submit our lives to your plan for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Our last song this morning is Arise, My Soul, Arise. If you would stand with me as we sing. Amen.